We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, this is Steven, the host of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are available on all podcast platforms as well as YouTube. We do appreciate any ratings or reviews and all subscribers to our YouTube channel. That being said, today's show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is our sponsor, who has been great for us. They've been an amazing partner to work with, and they have some great products to make sure that you are feeling your best for the upcoming summer months. If you're feeling a little frisky downstairs, they have the Lawnmower 2.0. They also have anti-chafing boxer briefs, which are a personal favorite of mine, as well as ball deodorant and some amazing smelling cologne. If you use the code GUILTY at checkout, you get 20% off and free shipping your purchase. Again, that's the code GUILTY at checkout for 20% off. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast presented by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Steven. I'm your host. Happy to be here as always. And joining me today are Tyler and Alex. Tyler, how are you doing today, man? Uh, I'm doing very well. I'm doing much better than that guy from Pro Football Focus this morning. <laughs> I feel like people were just mad about nothing there. I mean, like... <laughs> they really were. <laughs> He all he said was that he might that Tyreek Hill might be like he didn't flat out say it was kind of it wasn't even a take it was a half take and people were mad about it. Um, <laughs> PFF sucks, but that wasn't something to be <laughs> mad about. Uh, Alex, how are you doing today, man? Um, doing pretty good. Uh, I actually rode today for the first time in forty years in draft time, uh, so you know it was it was nice, but. Yeah, the first couple of weeks of the off season are always just like, all right, what do I write about? What do we want to talk about? So. Um, we actually do have our last interview from these reporters with our Georgia reporter, Jake Rowe, who was kind enough to join me, uh, provide some insight into Mark Webb as well as Trey McKitty. So we're going to get started with that right now. Hey, guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast presented by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Steven, and I'm happy to be joined today by Jake Rowe, who covers the Georgia Bulldogs for CBS and 247 Sports. Jake, thanks for taking the time to join me. How are you doing today? Uh, hey, man, I'm doing great. Can't complain. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, of course, man. Happy to have you. I think Chargers fans are going to enjoy this conversation. It certainly seems like uh, our new coach, Brandon Slade, had a lot of great things to talk to say 
uh, about the program down there in Georgia. And obviously that showed when they drafted two players out of the university. So uh, let's start with this. What was your general reaction when the Chargers took Trey McKitty uh, in the third round and then followed it up with Mark Webb in the seventh round a couple weekends ago? Well, I think the first thing I thought was, wow, the senior bowl matters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, the uh, there was no combine and uh, there there was no um, – there wasn't a ton of production in his senior year. He got off to a little bit of a slow start because he he tore his meniscus during preseason camp. I think during maybe the first or the second scrimmage, and it was a it was an elongated preseason camp, like five weeks uh, because of COVID. Yeah. And uh, you know he, I, that caused him to get off to a slow start. He missed the first couple games of the season. Um, he then he wasn't really a hundred percent for a while. Um, you know, did some really good things there at times for Georgia and, and had an opportunity to do some others if Georgia was a little bit more sorted out at quarterback. Uh, but then for him to go to the senior bowl, have such a good week, and then gets taken in the third round. I mean, top 100, you know, top 100 guy. I was, I was a little bit surprised by that. I kind of had him as more of a fourth or fifth round guy. One of those guys that you're like, all right, he's going to get drafted a little later just off production and, and, you know, maybe, you know, not quite being, I mean, because the NFL's changing a little bit on tight ends. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it's you know, you you don't see as many inline guys, and Trey is not a true inline guy only. Um, he, he's this flex guy, but at the same time, I kind of look at it as like, well, you didn't put up a ton of numbers in college. Are you going to be a top 100 player as a tight end in the NFL? And he is, and and I think a lot of that's due to the Senior Bowl and and how um how 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 good he looked out there, how he measured in. I mean, he's a he's a big dude, man. He's a big guy that you don't really realize how big he is. I mean, he's got 11 inch hands. Dang, that is that is an impressive thing for sure. And and like you said, you know, it seems like a traits over production kind of thing. Um, what about Mark Webb? What was your reaction there and, and kind of where did you think he could go uh, before the draft? You know, I, I think that was about right. I, I may have had him undrafted um, or, you know, sixth, seventh round. And I think it was, you know, it's almost one of those things where uh, his strengths were, I thought, were maybe used as a weakness. Uh, I thought they were going to maybe be used as a weakness for him. And that's he can do a lot of different things for you, but does he have one hat that you really feel like he can wear really mm-hmm. well? And, um, you know, because he didn't play any safety at Georgia. He practiced there some. Um, he started out at cornerback, and I'm sure we'll talk about the position change here pretty soon. Um, but but he mainly was a sub-package guy. He was the, the nickel star is what Georgia calls it because it, you know, it's got an S and it, it replaces the Sam in, in the base set. And then he also played the money, um, which replaces the Mike linebacker in the dime defense. Uh, he played that as the sixth defensive back some, too. He started actually there, I believe, in 2018, and then in 2019, 2020, um, both years, he, he was you know more of a star nickel type guy. And he did a lot of good things. I mean, he really did. It, it was great in run support. Um, but I just didn't think that, you know, is he a safety? Well, he doesn't have any tape playing safety. Is he a corner? I don't think he's a corner. Um, but, but, you know, he maybe could help you, depending on your scheme, at all three different positions. But is he one guy? And I think maybe that developed into a little bit of a weakness for him. Yeah, I can totally see that. And we'll, we'll certainly dive into that, you know, a little more at length. Um, obviously, Trey McKitty transferred from Florida State. It was a, it was a grad transfer. Um, what was that recruitment process like for him from Florida State to Georgia? And what do you think kind of drew the Bulldogs to recruiting him as a grad transfer? 
Well, it was it was quick. Uh, you know, he's a guy. He's cut from a different cloth. Uh, he he, I believe he had his pilot's license before yeah. he ever came over to Georgia. I mean, he's he's a different guy. You can tell it when you know we only got to talk to him through zooms, but um, you could just tell he was a little bit of a different cat. Uh, but uh, in a very good way, by the way, in a very, very good way, kind of one of those old soul, wise beyond his years type dudes. Um, but it went quick. I think he realized that there was a there was a chance at Georgia. Georgia realized there was a chance to get a veteran tied in on campus uh, because the Bulldogs had just lost, you know, some good players at that position. I mean, they, they were kind of looking for a guy to step in and be an experienced guy. Um, you know, John Fitzpatrick and, and Darnell Washington, uh, a true freshman and a, and a sophomore, there, uh, Washington, the true freshman, and, and Fitzpatrick, the, the redshirt sophomore, I believe he was. Neither one of those guys had played at all. And so Georgia wanted to go out and get a veteran guy. I think they went pretty hard after Trey McKitty. McKitty saw an opportunity to do it. And, and there was also a relationship there. Uh, you know, Miami recruited him pretty heavily coming out of high school, and Georgia's tight ends coach, Todd Hartley, was at Miami whenever they were recruiting okay. McKitty. So there was a kind of a pre existing relationship there. Well, that makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, all right, let, let's cover Mark Webb, obviously recruited to Georgia as a wide receiver. Um, what was he like as a receiver? What do you think that recruitment process was like? And when did he uh, transition to the defensive side of the ball? Well, here's the thing. Um, you know, Mark Webb dropped a couple interceptions in his career at Georgia. And that, you know, you know what fans say when that happens. Well, that's why yeah. he's a defensive back. <laughs> well, here's the thing, man. Um, Mark Webb was having a great preseason camp at Georgia at receiver. He just was. I mean, he was off to a really good start. I thought out of that class, and he signed in a in a, in a wide receiver class that actually ended up being a little bit of a bust for Georgia um, because, you know, uh, Trey Blunt was in that class. I believe Matt Landers was in that class. Both of those guys transferred out after this past season. Jeremiah Holloman was a stud athlete but needed some time to kind of grow and and actually had a really good 2018 season but but never really panned out because he had some off-field stuff and and got dismissed from the team um but but Webb was the guy that when when he enrolled and and you got through the first couple weeks of spring you're like okay well who of these four young wide receivers going to make an impact Webb would have been number one on my list then you look at the travel roster for the Notre Dame game which was in in week two and uh, you see Webb on there as a DB. And you're like, what? what? What's going on here? Well, Kirby gets asked about it after the game, and, and he, takes the, he takes the opportunity to kind of laugh and wag his finger at us a little bit because none of us, none of the beat, none of the reporters had picked up on it in the uh, blink of an eye that we get to watch of practice, which is like five minutes. So you're out there, <laughs> you know, we're out there scurrying and check and roll because that's really so the how, only how thing dare you not get. figure that out? Yeah, how dare you not figure that out, right? Um, but yeah, none of us picked up on that, and uh, and they had moved him to defensive back, and he was initially moved to cornerback. Played a lot of special teams, and and that's one of the things that I think may give him an opportunity to to stay in the league for a long time. I mean, when you look at some of the, you know, the Steve Taskers, and I know that's probably before a lot of people's time, but your Steve Taskers, and um, I'm drawing a blank on the dude in, in New England that's basically played forever as a special teamer. Um, you know, you see some of those guys that. Uh, is it Kasim Osgood? Was that the yeah, guy? He was yeah, the Chargers guy. Yeah. yeah, with the Chargers, right? Yeah, so that's that's probably a good comparison there in terms of a special teamer because he's six one six two. He can really run. He's very physical. He's fearless. He gives me the impression that that at worst, um, he might be the kind of guy that can play six, seven, eight years in the NFL as a special teams ace. So 
That's an interesting point because the Chargers, obviously, you know, if you follow the team, you know how bad they were on special teams last year. And a lot of that, in my opinion, stems from them not bringing back Adrian Phillips, who, of course, left in free agency um, to New England a couple of years ago. And the one thing that he did for the Chargers, aside from special teams, is he was kind of that star money linebacker safety hybrid. So I'm a lot of people are, are just kind of wondering where Webb is going to play in the NFL because he was announced as a safety. You know, he didn't play safety in college. He played receiver in college. So what kind of role on defense do you think Webb could carve out, you know, for the Chargers in the NFL? You know, I've always liked him as a safety. I've always, even even when he got moved from receiver and they were like, he's playing cornerback, I'm like, are you, are you serious? Like, I mean, I just didn't really, because he's just such a big-bodied kid and, and he runs well, but but there's some stiffness there. You know, I definitely think he would fit at a safety position. I think he could play either one. I think he could play free. I think he could play strong. Um, I, you know, I, I definitely think he could help out in the sub package. He could be, you know, I remember a couple of years ago when, when the Chargers matched up against, uh, Lamar Jackson in, in the playoffs and what was yeah. it, seven defensive backs, six defensive backs yeah, that they ran out. I mean, right I, he, yeah. He's the kind of guy that can kind of come in for you and, and play a hybrid role and, and do those type things. Um, but, but one thing I really have always respected and, and liked about Mark Webb is you know you you flip on the Notre Dame game in in 2019 when Notre Dame came to Athens and you know he's lined up at the star position he's coming off the edge and and he's got contained he's got force responsibility there and he goes one on one with uh, with their tight end and I can't remember his name he got got Cole Komet got drafted by the Bears okay um last year big dude 6'6", 260 pounds. And he blows him up. I mean, he wins that battle, uh, you know, one-on-one. I mean, he just kind of gets into his chest and, and shuts down the run game, sets the edge. And that's the kind of player he is. I mean, he's a very physical football player. And I, uh, at his pro day, I think one of the one of the buzz comments he made was, hey, listen, and, and you know, in, in middle school ball, I was the best nose tackle in the district. I'll, I'll play nose tackle if I can. He's just – he's that <laughs> kind of guy. Now, that kind of guy – you know, they don't, I don't necessarily know that they grow on trees, but, but there are a lot of guys out there willing, but yeah. is he going to be able and, and the league choose up, choose guys up and spits them out. So it'll be interesting to see if he kind of gets the breaks, if he can stay healthy, if he can adapt quickly and, and be the kind of guy that can hang on to a roster. Cause you know, it's, it's hit or miss on seventh rounders. It is. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people were surprised when they took him, but I, I think, like you mentioned, the special teams value, a little bit of versatility on defense. I think he could carve out a role. So getting back to McKinney for a second, and then you know, I'll ask you one more question after that. Um, you know, we've we've kind of talked about the tight end, how the tight end position has changed, and the Chargers have Jared Cook, who, who came over in free agency and really doesn't play tight end. He really kind of plays receiver, doesn't do much blocking. Um, so what do you think Trey McKinney can learn from Jared Cook and maybe – where do you see his ceiling going? You know, because he only caught six passes at Georgia, and he was good production at Florida State, but not great. So, where do you think um, Trey McKitty can go in the NFL in terms of his ceiling? Well, I mean, I think you know, playing with a guy like Justin Herbert, I think if he can get an opportunity to play and play a lot, he's never played for a really good quarterback. And that's just, I mean, he got a little taste of it with JT Daniels there at the end of the season for Georgia when when JT got rolling. But Georgia struggled at at the quarterback position for, you know, the early part of this season. He missed two of those games to begin with. I mean, Stetson Bennett played, you know, pretty well in game two against Auburn. 
came in and kind of rescued Georgia against Arkansas. That was probably the best Stetson Bennett played all year. And, uh, you know, Trey McKinney didn't even get any of that. You know, he came in against Tennessee, made a couple nice catches. Um, they missed him on a couple of really, you know, uh, big play potential type plays against Florida. Dewan Mathis did. And so Georgia never – really got settled at quarterback, but for maybe three games while McKitty was there. And, you know, as it turned out, he caught his only touchdown pass during one of those games. So he was uh, he was definitely a little bit more of a factor there. And then you all obviously saw other Georgia's other tight ends get more involved in the bowl game, with which he opted out of. Um, I think he can be a really good player. I think he's got physical tools. He didn't run at pro day, which kind of maybe raises a little bit of a flag for me. But, you know, he did really well at the senior bowl and, and uh, you know, get some good players. Uh, I think he can be good. I mean, I, I don't really compare him to Jerry Cook, who, by the way, is – I mean, the dude's got to have grandkids by now. <laughs> I mean, I remember, I remember watching a Georgia-South Carolina game in 2006 when he ran over Trey Battle, and Jerry Cook's been around for a long time. Uh, I don't think they're all that similar in terms of players. I do think Trey McKitty has more inline potential. And, you know, with that comes your ability to create even more mismatches. If you can right. line up on the end of the line of scrimmage, you've got to worry about being, you know, oh, okay, is he going to block me or do I have to run with him? Um, you know, who's going to cover him? Who's going to get through that traffic to cover him? Stuff like that, you know, shallow crossing routes and, and, and things of that nature. Um, I think that he offers that type of versatility, and I, I think he's a really good athlete. And I, I just think there's a there, there's some uh, intangibles there in terms of uh, intelligence and and uh, and and want to. They're they're going to kind of keep him you know in the mix for a while. And you know it's a good thing he's a third round pick because you know they'll they'll he'll he'll make some good money in that first contract, and there's there'll be an investment there. Absolutely, I, you know I think that definitely could be something that that the could work in his favor. So. Uh, we talked a little bit about it. You know, you talked about the pilot thing for, for Trey McKitty and, and, you know, Mark Webb's competitive nature. But who are the Chargers getting off the field in these two players out of Georgia? I mean, it, it, Mark Webb, you know, first-class citizen. I mean, never heard a word about there being any issues there. A hard worker, super hard worker. I mean, he and DeAndre Swift, are, I believe, are cousins. Uh, you know, DeAndre was taken in the second round of the 2020 NFL draft by by Detroit, and uh, I believe those two kind of had a reputation for maybe letting themselves in the facility at like 11, 12 o'clock at night and running when they oh, couldn't wow. sleep and, you know, trying to do stuff like that. I mean, I, listen, I don't – there are people who will salivate over that. I'm kind of like, hey, go to sleep, man. You know, get some sleep. Sleep's <laughs> probably more important. Get those eight hours. Than, yeah, there's, sleep's probably a little bit more important than than pulling a sled at you know 11:30. Yeah. Uh, but but at the same time, I mean, you'd rather be doing that than than you know out you know getting a getting a charge of some sort. And and uh, you know both of those guys, I, I th- they come from good stock, and and they come from um, a very hard nosed blue collar portion of the country, and they know how to work. And and then Trey McKitty, you know, obviously only got to cover him for that one year. Um, but, but, you know, like I said, man, when, when you, when you talk to him on a zoom call, it's almost like you're talking to a 35, 40 year old guy that you work with. Um, it was one of those things he could have conversations with the media and, and he could kind of understand when you were, when you were trying to, uh, trying to get a little bit more out of him than maybe, mm-hmm. you know, he was told to say, uh, Georgia programs their guys a little bit. And, and that's kind of a bummer sometimes, but, uh, he seems like a really good kid and, and, you know, comes highly recommended in terms of, you know, the people who'd covered him before. I know, um, you know, Brandon Sinone over at our Florida state site, you just glowed about him, uh, when I did a Q and a with him after he transferred to Georgia. So I've heard nothing but good things. Well, that's who I talked to about for Florida state as well. So that's a funny little coincidence. Uh, well, Jake, this has been awesome, man. Chargers fans, if you want to give him a follow, 
Uh, like I said, it does kind of feel like Georgia is going to become the new uh, Notre Dame in Los Angeles. Uh, you can follow him at row 247 And, Jake, thanks again, man. You got it, man. Anytime. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. All right, so thank you again to Jake and all the other reporters who joined us today. We're going to talk about some of the recent news, and we're going to do it in a format of something, nothing, or everything. Uh, and then after that, we're going to revisit the kicking conversation around Josh Lambeau, Young Way Koo, and whoever the Chargers pick this year. So it's going to be fun talking kickers today. Revisiting some terrible memories, but it's all good. Um, first and foremost, we're going to start with some news. The Chargers have signed or claimed off of waivers Austin Prohl from the 49ers, formerly of the XFL. So, Alex, we'll start with you. Is the signing of Austin Prohl everything, something, or nothing? Uh, nothing. I mean, it's a, it's a training camp body. Like, that's kind of how I interpreted it. Um, you know, I, maybe we'll talk about Eli Stoke later or maybe we talk about it now. But it just kind of felt like, you know, since he that didn't work out and it seems like he's not on the roster, then this was sort of just getting under camp body, which I don't mind. I mean, I, I think he's a decent, you know, kind of slot receiver and, you know, obviously played in the XFL. But it just kind of seemed like, okay, well, Dylan Cantrell is back on the team. Um, <laughs> that's what this signing felt like. Just, okay, here's the 5'10", you know, receiver and I don't know, like, it doesn't seem like he might have much special teams value from what I've seen about him. Um, so, I don't know. It, it just seems kind of like Cam Potter. All right, Tyler, your thoughts here? Nothing. <laughs> there. There's my, if, anyone, if anyone who's just listening, there's the SpongeBob conch shell reference. Man, I, I was so happy to bring that up for this today. Um yeah, I kind of agree. I don't think he's quite like Dylan Control. I think Control had a much better RAS score. Was this guy has a abysmal 3.63, but he did score elite in the agility grade. So he's a guy that they could potentially see as someone who could do damage in the you know, after the catch in open space. You'd hope 
of the I didn't watch any freaking all 22 or whatever of this guy, but of the YouTube highlights that I found, um, you know, he has some really great elusiveness and balance to take. I think it was like a flat or an in or something. And I'm staying bounds and forced him as to go 50 yards to the house. He had zero drops in his final college season on 31 targets. So I think the theme of them having, you know, a hands guy like Palmer and Prohl added to the team makes sense. But based on the roster, you know, as a short and intermediate possession kind of guy, you're, this is your KJ Hill competition. Um, and I just don't like, I'd rather just take Hill because I think he can provide some special teams reps. So, you know, good luck. He could totally make the roster. I'm not saying Hill's like a shoe in for the, to make the spot, but I don't think this is much right now. Yeah, I have to agree here. I think a lot of people were, were trying to make this big takeaway that like, Oh, this is, this is bad for KJ Hill. And it's, I mean, I, I guess, but to me, the Josh Palmer drafting is the thing that's bad for KJ Hill. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think Austin Prohl is, like Alex said, more than anything than a training camp body. Whether this is to replace Eli Stove, who apparently is off the Chargers roster, you know, I could see that. Maybe he's just a, he is just a training camp body, which I'm a little surprised that, you know, Stove isn't on the, the roster anymore, which I do think is is something, at least for him. Um, but Austin Pearl signing, I don't think it's very much. I think it's, you know, I, I can't even remember the last time that they they had someone like this make the actual roster. Because to me, I think you have a clear five receivers who are going to make it in Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Josh Palmer, Jalen Guyton, and Tyron Johnson. Mm-hmm. And then if they carry six, you've got Joe Reed, KJ Hill, Jason Moore. I think those are the three that are fighting for it. They, they've got a couple other you know, practice squad guys. I think his name is John Hurst on the roster. Um, but Austin Pearl, I don't think this is this is really anything. Yeah, and it's just like, if Eli Stove was on the roster, it was like, okay, you know, he's kind of Joe Reed. And it's like, mm-hmm. you can kind of give him that competition. But like, to me, I guess if you really wanted to reach, it's like, he's KJ Hill competition. But <laughs> I just don't believe that because he's about as good as KJ Hill, um, you know, as, as a slot receiver. So, it just seems very much like a kind of training camp Potter signing. And I'm not against it. You know, maybe he proves us wrong in the preseason, but I don't think anything of it right now. Yeah, training camp Potter signings could work. Just one quote I pulled from an article I already forget, so I can't reference it. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> the quote says, Pro wasn't invited to the NFL Combine in Indy, but he did attend a regional scouting combine in Tampa and repeatedly stole the show at the event, showing off fingertip catches and explosive cuts in his route running. I'm not saying that means he makes the team, but if he goes out and shows out like he did at this thing that allowed him to be picked in the draft in the seventh round, you know, maybe he finds a spot in the roster. Yeah. I mean, it's it's good that he's bringing in that Staley and company are bringing in more competition. Uh, so mm-hmm. we'll have to see. <clears throat> All right. Next piece of news that we want to talk about, according to Neil Stratton, the Chargers are moving forward without respected national scout Tom McConaughey or McConaughey. Uh, who spent 24 years with the team, of obviously part of the staff that drafted Justin Herbert, Derwin James, all these players, Sean Merriman, Philip Rivers. So Tyler, is the Chargers moving on from Tom and Connie? Everything, something, or nothing? <laughs> nothing. I mean, I don't know if it's nothing or not, but how do we get, how do we like determine whether it's something uh, or like it is something? Sure, they're moving on from a scout, but like I don't know. I didn't know this guy's name. I didn't know he existed until they announced that they were moving on from him. So, you know, for him, thank you for Austin Eckler, apparently. Um, you know, the Chargers have always had a specific player type at RB2 was like Sproles, Woodhead, Oliver Eckler, Pope, 
So I'm curious how much of a role he had in that, um, if at all. Um, but he was a regional scout first and then a national scout in 2008. And in between the time he was a national scout and then when Telesco got there, so 2008 to 2012, his first-round picks were – not his, but the team's first-round picks were Antoine Quezon, Larry English, Ryan Matthews, Corey Legit, and then Melvin Ingram. The drafts weren't, like, that great overall, the best picks being like Melvin Ingram, uh, Daryl Stuckey in the fourth, and Louis Vasquez in the third. So, like, I guess I'm kind of – I don't know. Like, it wasn't great, but, again, how much do I know about this guy? I don't know how much of a role he had. So I yeah. guess I'm surprised they're moving on from him because he's been with the team for so long. And they just came off of what we think is a really good draft. Um, so maybe they're just blaming him for the round tree pick. <laughs> I I think it could theoretically like be something down the road. Um, but like ultimately it's Tom Telesco who has the final saying power in the pick. I don't mm-hmm. think there's quite like an equivalent situation to what you saw in San Francisco this year where you have this disagreement between Kyle Shanahan and, and the scouting department as to what to do. Uh, with the third pick, right? Like, that was kind of a very public storyline. But it seemed like Tom Telesco, you know, has made these picks himself, and he has certain kind of picks he likes to make, and it doesn't seem like there's too much uh, divide between him and the scouting staff. So, to me, I don't think changing a body uh, there or or changing the thought process is really going to happen, you know. And ultimately, as long as he's the GM, he's the guy who gets final say. Yeah, I think this is something but I, I none of us know how much of a something right. that it is really because you know like b- the both of you have said we don't know who is involved and how much they are involved um but losing a scout you know of 24 years like that's kind of a, a big deal you know that, that you know means somebody else is going to have to step up and you know we're, we of course are not going to see you know the the fruits of that labor so to speak but i, I do think this could be something um, all right, the last one here that we wanted to talk about, we didn't really talk about this very much, um, and that's the Chargers signing Christian Covington. Um, Alex, is that everything, something, or nothing? I'll say something. Um, I think, you know, he's not going to be expected to be, uh, like, a great defensive lineman or something, but they, the Chargers have needed depth behind, you know, uh, Jones, Tillery, and Joseph uh, yeah. for quite a while. So if you got a guy who's rotational and maybe he plays – five, ten snaps a game, like, I think that there's value to that. So, um, you know, he was pretty decent in Cincinnati, like, you know, can get after the quarterback a little bit. Um, I, I have no problem with that, and I think it's actually a good thing. Now, I would also like to them to address, you know, the depth at a couple other positions, but to me, uh, this feels like a very much a, hey, sorry, we didn't draft a DT signing. Um, and, you know, so I, I have no problem with it. And, it, you know, it makes sense with uh, the, the kind of player they got as a rotational piece. Yeah, I, I do think this is actually something. He had a great RES score, at least when he came out of college. Yeah. Not, but not in terms of height or weight, at least at the time he was drafted. And that kind of falls in line with the theme of, I think, Justin Jones losing weight, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, when it comes to freeing up Aaron Donald, there was some sort of twist, perhaps. You know, the Rams, obviously this is the Chargers, but the Rams needed defenders to wreak havoc. You know, one guy penetrating, the other guy looping around. And so for having more explosive guys than maybe bigger guys, you know, with strength, which, you know, Joseph and Fajoko supposedly are, it makes sense. Um, I didn't watch Foster Merrill, but Goldwire, the undrafted free agent from Louisville, he's more explosive than he is strong at the point of attack. So I do think there's a theme here. Um, I threw on just one game week 17 against the Ravens. 
and he opened that game as more of a one tech, but in the second half he switched to three tech. Um, so I do see some of that versatility, I suppose. Um, I've been watching and trying to take notes on some of the, the Rams plays um, from last year, finally, um, at least against the past. And it's nearly impossible to figure out where each defensive lineman is going to line up prior to watching the actual play because they, they're just all over. Like whatever Staley needs, that's where they are. So someone who has that kind of versatility, yeah. I think, based on the one game that I watched, um, that'd be you know pretty beneficial to the defense. So, you know, I don't know how much the current sixth interior defensive lineman on the team is going to play but I do feel better about the veteran presence that he brings over an undrafted free agent, which you know, I think we had neither of the, the defensive tackles making the roster based on our predictions. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is something that, you know, we all kind of talked about, you know, the, the desire to bring back a person like Damian Square to mm-hmm. just be a serviceable body behind these players. Because, I mean, Tillery has, you know, in terms of playing on the field in the NFL, he's been pretty durable, but he does have some injury history from his Notre Dame days. Justin Jones hasn't played a full season, I think, since his rookie year. Um, and Livot Joseph is an older player. So I know he played all, all 16 games last year, but the odds are that he's going to miss a couple games this year, if not more, because of his age and just because that's how football works. So them getting a player like this, I think, is something. I feel much more comfortable playing him than I do yeah. um, either of the undrafted free agents, uh, Brandon Fajoko. So – to me, it could be uh, some competition for Cortez Brown, you know, who we haven't really seen a whole lot of either. So, again, kind of that theme. And he, his body type definitely fits what Brandon Staley has wanted from the defensive end or defensive tackle slash defensive end spot. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at Roy Robertson Harris, you look at Shelby Harris, you look at Jerry Tillery, you look at uh, Brock Michael Brockers. Like they're like Tyler was saying, more explosive, longer tackles, and so. Um, he fits that profile, and I think that is something going forward. How many how many defensive tackles did they carry on the roster last season? Do you remember the the Chargers or the Rams? Chargers. Uh, Joseph Jones, Tillery, Broughton, occasionally Broughton, but sometimes inactive. Bahoko five and Square. Oh, Square. They carried six. Oh, I guess there maybe is a spot for him. Yeah, we'll see. I think. I don't know how many the Rams carried. Um, I'll have to look into that one. All right, so we're going to move on now to talk about some kickers. This is your special teams episode. Uh, Someone commented a while back that we don't talk about special teams enough, so here you go. Um, There was this graphic that popped up the other day um, that since the Chargers cut Josh Lambeau and Young Way Koo in 2017, Josh Lambeau has led the NFL in field goal percentage with 95 Young Waiku has really been, you know, a smash find for the Falcons. Uh, he's hit 88.7% of his field goals since being cut from the Chargers. Uh, and the Chargers actually have the lowest percentage in the NFL since that time at 74.6. So all three of us have, like, we all remember the circumstances surrounding Josh Lambeau and Young Waiku and, and why they were cut. But Tyler, what was your takeaway, your thought process when this graphic was brought up the other day? To do a little bit of research and remember kind of what happened. I remember more of the coup stuff than the Lambo stuff. Although, I mean, I was at some of these terrible games like coup missing that field goal. <laughs> and, and going back to an article, I, 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 I guess I, it seems like every year the Chargers fans are forgetting what happened to Lambo in that final season. Every time I see that graphic about yeah. Lambo, it's like, well... They had legitimate reasons. He only was hitting 
He didn't kick a single ball over 50 yards. I, in an article I wrote, and I can't fact check this unless I go back and watch all the games, at the time that I wrote the article, he had kicked three balls out of bounds to allow the opponents to start you know, way further up in those games. I didn't remember that at all. Um, of course, he was seen laughing with the Raiders after one loss. He blew that kick in 2016 to, get, to, to not be able to force overtime to beat the Browns and give their only win. So, you know, having Koo and Lambeau next to each other, I'm not like a huge fan of that because I think the situations were very different. Whereas Koo, and I think everyone also forgets this, that Shelby Harris blocked that ball. The kick that when he, was, when he kicked that ball in Denver and they called the timeout, but when he kicked that ball, that ball went in. He made that kick. Unfortunately, they called the timeout, so it didn't count. The next one was blocked by Shelby Harris, and everyone thinks, oh, my gosh, you know, Young Hui Koo, you know, missed this, this kick. Oh, my gosh. And then he goes against Miami and misses another two kicks. And, of course, the, the game, either tie or a game winner. But I think everyone unfairly remembers that. But after that, after the miss, but, again, it was rough in Miami. It was two for two on field goals, four for four on extra points. And, you know, they cut him, they cut him missing two kicks. Granted, they were, you know, if, if I don't count the block, which is not a miss, it's a block. So he really cut him for missing two kicks. And, you know, yeah, he should have. He was he was the difference in that Miami game, but maybe you shouldn't be getting shut down by Miami, by Miami in your home opener and should yeah. be able to score a little bit more. You know, and as far as guys, with, just like looking at rookie seasons, you know, you got to give these guys some time. Like Lambo did have a couple of years. You know, Goss Kelsey, you know, hit 76% of his kicks. Lutz, 82%. Kading, 80%. Robbie Gold, 77% of his kicks. You know, so for to cut a rookie that fast when he's just starting to actually hit his kicks, his kicks again, granted not really far kicks, no 50 yarders, but to cut him at that point was a huge mistake. I wrote that it was a mistake to do that, even though I I kind of understood it, but to give it back, give up on him that quickly, was rough. And of course, the Chargers were in kicking purgatory until they got to Badgley. So, you know, just looking at that graphic, long way of saying, you know, I went down memory lane, had to look up some stuff to see the the context and. The Lambo decision, I totally get. The coup decision, I really didn't get. And uh, But either way, the, the Chargers have been screwed by both. Kicking purgatory until we got to Badgley is a funny phrase because we're still yeah. in purgatory. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I mean, I guess looking back on it, I definitely agree with Lambo, um, yeah. just because I, I think that situation got bad. And, I mean, he almost had really the full season there. And Ku is the one that I think you can look back and be like, maybe, you know, if he's given another couple games, he could have gotten something. But I also think that one of the things that contributed to that situation was Anthony Lynn being a first-year head coach. And it was like, you know, the Chargers start 0-3, they were 0-3, I think, after that. Oh, 0-4. Well, after the Miami game, yeah. Yeah, after the Miami game. Um, And I went to the Giants game where they finally won. But, uh, yeah, so the 0-4... Uh, team, it's like, yeah, like he kind of has to make the move there, you know? Um, <laughs> you know, because Stephen brought up that stat last time about how many first-year head coaches, and there's usually one that's like one and done. Um, so, you know, if you approach 0-5, 0-6, like you're kind of digging yourself that hole deeper, and then Anthony Lynn has that kind of run that's the 9-3 and run at the end of 2017. Um, but I don't know, like I – for me, I just think kicking is such a fickle thing in general that, like, we can look back and be like, oh, this guy shouldn't have been cut. But, like, maybe Young Waiku, like, kind of needed that change of scenery, right? Because yeah. then he goes on and signs with the AAF uh, Atlanta team, you know, kind of rebuilds his image there. Then the Patriots practice squad. Then there was this journey back to being a kicker, right? It wasn't just, like, 
being cut by the Chargers and then yeah. <laughs> then he became a star in Atlanta, right? Like it, it was just uh, kind of a journey for him to kind of regain his confidence and, and regain uh, everything that had sort of maybe been broken in, in his development a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I think we can look back on it and kind of have regrets. Um, and maybe that's fans' fears about cutting Badgley. Um, I, I guess I would say the difference with those two and Badgley is that I knew that they had the leg. Um, Lambo, I mean, just kind of whiffed some of those 50 yarders. Um, but actually, in the season prior, was pretty decent from deep. Um, and then Koo, I mean, we saw in the video of him doing the backflip into the kick. Like, <laughs> leg strength was never the question with yeah. him. Um, I, I feel, you know, and to credit Badgley, he does have the 59-yarder, but, like, I've never felt like he's been a very powerful kicker, I guess. Like, he's he's just kind of been, like, accurate from inside, which is definitely a skill that's, you know, worth having. But, um yeah, he, he just hasn't been the same from 40-plus in a couple years now, really since he got injured in, in 2019. So I, I think that that's kind of the difference with the Badgley purgatory situation compared to compared to those two. Yeah, I think when you're looking back on this situation between Josh Lambeau and Young Wiku, it, it tends to be like revisionist history, right? Like, oh, we never should have cut so-and-so. And it's like, well, the decision to cut Josh Lambeau came in favor of Young Way Koo, right? Like Young Way Koo was brought in to be competition for Josh Lambeau. That's a great decision. I think, you know, you look around the league and, and even the teams who have great kickers, they bring in competition every single off season. I mean, the Ravens have, they have arguably the best kicker of all time. And every other year they, they bring in an undrafted free agent kicker. I think one year they even drafted one and they even traded a kicker to the Vikings who needed a, another kicker. Like, so if the if it's good enough for the Ravens to bring in competition, then every team should be doing it. And so I think when you look back at that situation, it's important to remember that Koo was brought in for competition against Josh Lambeau, and he won the job. Now the cutting the cutting of Young Wiku definitely was was premature, but I'm glad that Alex pointed it out that it took him a little bit to get going. It took him a little bit to get back into the swing of things. It wasn't you know that immediate transformation to another team. And even for Lambo, it wasn't, you know, Lambo didn't kick for, you know, like a month or so after he got cut. And then he was okay in Jacksonville that first season. So kickers are, like Alex said, it's a fickle thing. You look at somebody like Matt Gay, who I, you know, I think is one of the better college kickers that I've ever seen. He gets drafted by the Buccaneers. He's okay as a rookie. They bring in competition and he loses the job. And then he goes to the Rams and he has a really good season for the Rams. And so, Kicking is just something that unfortunately is so hard for these teams to nail down. And, you know, if you have a Justin kick, a Justin Tucker, a Will Lutz or Adam Vinatieri in his prime, like good for you. You don't have to cut a kicker every other year. If you don't, you have to cut a kicker every other year. And that's just where the Chargers are at this year. Yeah. Um, we need to really find a way for Steven not to wave Matt Gay into every episode. I don't know. I don't know how this keeps happening, but it's been like the last five podcasts at least. Um, but I think you definitely have a point with, unless you have like a Tucker or a Butker, right? Like those kind of guys, um, that, you know, you know, you probably won't have to cut. It's just, um, it, it is kind of like a fickle thing. Like if you mi- miss two or three field goals in a row or, you know, you have two, three bad games strung together, like you're probably going to get cut. And 
we've seen kickers like, you know, Dan Bailey is a great example of like a guy who was looked at as like a top 10 kicker uh, in the league for, you know, all those years. Uh, and then, you know, goes to Minnesota and has his struggles. Right. And then, yeah. you know, is, is on the cut line. Right. So even for, you know, some of those all time great kickers, right. Like eventually there is that downfall or, you know, even if you just have string a couple bad games together, it's like a team's going to move on from you regardless of whether you're Joe Schmo or one of the best kickers of all time. Okay, so here's the thing. They have a bunch of Joe Schmoes when they brought in. Like, okay, so Tristan Fizz, whatever the hell, he had 60% of his field goals in college. Like, come on. He's got one game under his belt, three made field goals. I mean, he was perfect in that one game. He was great. (laughs) But, I mean, 60% of field goals in college ain't that great. And then Alex Kessman, you know, 71.9% in college. Like, like what? Like, yeah, it's a competition, I suppose. But is is there really competition here? Like, are any of these guys really going to push Badgley or is this more about excuse me are they going to push him off the roster like I know you said Kessman last time but like is this more to replace Badgley or do you think it's more to push Badgley to become better and can Badgley even respond to that I think they're just going to go with whoever the best kicker is out of that group if it's if it's Viscano it's Viscano if it's uh, Badgley it's Badgley like to me you have nothing to lose by bringing in other guys, whether it's, you know, the best kicker in the country Mm -hmm. or, you know, just a guy from last year that you, you know, noticed. Um, So for me, like, you know, as long as you bring in some kind of competition for him, like the, the big problem, I guess, I guess for Badgley is not just like he's missing field goals, right? Like the issue last year was specifically from 40 plus. And like, to me, if you have a kicker like um, Kessman, who does have a big leg, right? Um, and, and this guy, no, I, you know, I don't think he has like a big leg particularly, but, you know, is a relatively strong kicker in that department. Um, I, I think as long as you have some guys that can compete with him on that level and, you know, push him to make his 40 yard field goals, um, then that's a good thing. But to me, you know, I, I get I get the rap on Kessman being a subpar kicker, but also, you know, college kicking is kind of different. And he did boost that up to 79 percent in 2020. So to me, I I just think he has one of the better chances because, you know, he did boost his field goal percentage last year. It was also Badgley was 14 and uh, 14 for 14 inside 40. Kessman was 14 for 15 uh, last season. So to me, I I think he has a really good shot to knock him off. And, you know, if you're talking about like those 40 plus yard attempts, like that's really where the difference is between those two guys. So I think, I, again, Viscaino, you know, I at least has some kicking experience um, in his one NFL game last year. Um, and, you know, obviously was a three, four-year college kicker. So I think that that's what they're bringing him in for. To me, you just bring, you know, whoever the best-looking guy out of those guys is. And, you know, the, the reality uh, with kicking is – at some point you can just be kind of lied to, right? Like somehow the Chargers walked out of the 2018 kicking competition and they were like, Caleb Sturgis is our guy. And then it turned (laughs) out Caleb Sturgis was not our guy. Um, So like, you know, sometimes it lies to you. And sometimes some guy misses a field goal. Sometimes some guy makes a field goal. And that's the difference in them making the roster, you know, based on one preseason game, right? Like, so the whole evaluation process on some of this stuff 
it just isn't as substantial as when you're talking about like evaluating, oh, who's the wide receiver to make this team or who's the last running back to make the roster. It's just harder with kickers because you're judging a smaller sample size, smaller amount of kicks, and like ultimately kind of a really dumb thing in the sport. (laughs) There's no other NBA, you know, if you watch the NBA, like, oh, you know, we have a hired free throw shooter who takes the free throw. No, (laughs) everyone takes free throws, right? Like, so it's just kind of, football is just different in that way. Um, And I think it's just, that makes it a harder position to really evaluate. I don't know, man. I, 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 the last time we talked about kickers, whenever that was, I was like, yeah, you know, Kessman makes sense, and it does make sense to some degree. But I don't know. I'm just going backwards on the whole Badgley thing. Like, I want him to stick around. Like, do I like do I know like yeah in training camp whatever that Vizcaino or Kessman are the better kickers like maybe. But I don't know. On one hand, Badgley has not been good for a year and a half or two years, whatever it is. On the other hand, he did do some stuff that nobody else in Chargers history has, including being. It's been a while. Granted, it has been a while, but the way, like how good he was in that first season, being clutch in the playoffs, being perfect in the playoffs against Baltimore, probably the reason they won that game, not really, but like one of the main reasons they won that game, you know, I just, I don't I have a hard time letting him go when I think that someone like Darius Swinton, who has a knack for, you know, giving punters and kickers their best seasons, you know, whether it be Prater or Colquitt or Robbie Gold, you know. I feel like he can get back to form unless the injury has completely shut him out. Like if there's an injury that's lingering and he just can no longer kick anymore and that's the issue, then yeah, I totally understand. But I don't know. I have a hard time letting him go and I don't want a third guy on that graphic. <laughs> but, you know, Although it would make sense. Like again, it would like Lambeau it would make sense why you would let him go even if he goes somewhere and does well. But yeah. I don't know. I'm having a really hard time with this one. This is a tough one for me. So let's, Let's say the Chargers do decide to stick with Badgley. Okay. You know, like, let's say, you know, the second week against the Cowboys, Badgley has to hit a 51-yarder to win the game. They're down by one, need a 51-yard field goal to 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 win the game. How confident are you? Because you're the one who – I don't want to say you're advocating for him to be back, but sure. of the three of us, it seems like you want him back more than the other two of us. So. Yeah. Uh, Badgley hit in a 51-yard. He trots out there for a 51-yarder to win the game. How confident are you? 100% confident. He's totally going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I don't know. Like, it's so tough to say. Like, where is he at after working with Swinton and after maybe being healthy and with the special teams group in front of him that won't get him killed? Not that Badgley had that issue, but Ty Long certainly did. Like, I think he can make that. Look, the Chargers made the playoffs with him making one 50-yard field goal in 2018. So it's not like they're always going to need that. Granted, it, it does come down to that, and that one game could be a big difference for the Chargers this season. But I think he can do it. And when all else fails, Herbert bombed to, to Tyron Johnson for the 85th time, somehow catching a ball yeah. on, on a hail, desperate Hail Mary. Um, I... God, I'm such a homer. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know what? He's going to prove everyone wrong. I, this is my anti-neighbors. Let's do it. There we go. <laughs> there we go. I mean, it, it certainly is possible that he's able to round back into form, right? Like, Because it's not like this is somebody – we never saw Young Waku be like a really effective kicker. Mm-hmm. We've seen Badgley be an effective kick, kicker, right. right? It was three years ago. But, you know, it is possible that the Chargers are able to – 
you know, get the most out of him. Maybe they, you know, attack the offensive game plan a little bit more aggressively because they know that Badgley is maybe struggling a little bit from 50 plus. Like you can manage a kicker who uh, doesn't have a strong leg. I think, you know, going back to the University of Utah, we before Matt Gay, there was this guy named Andy Phillips. I know. I always talk about Utah because it's what I know, right? I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I get you. They, they had this kicker named Andy Phillips, and he did not have a strong leg. And so they managed him in a way that, you know, he could be effective as a mid-range, short-range kicker. You can do that kind of thing with Badgley if you are more comfortable with him in the short range than Alex Kessman. So can Alex Kessman make it? Yeah, 100% because he has the stronger leg. But if the difference is a guy who can make six out of 10 kicks from 50 or four out of 10 kicks from 50 versus being more accurate in the short term, then it makes sense that they would take the more accurate short-term kicker because that's something that is, you know, more of a skill versus, you know, kicking from 50 yards. Plus you've got a lot of things that need to go right. So it absolutely is possible that Badgley comes back and is able to rediscover his form. It's also possible that Kessman is able to beat him out. So I can see both sides. I personally would go with the player who has the stronger leg because I think you can work with him to become more accurate in the short term, mm-hmm. but you can't teach Michael Badgley to suddenly have a strong leg. Like that's just not happening. Yeah. You asked uh, what the confidence interval is on week two Dallas. Uh, he asked to make a 51 yard field goal. I mean, it's what the confidence interval was last year for me. Like Every time Michael Badgley walked up, did any of us think he was making a 40 plus yard field goal? Like Whether it was the Raiders game, the Saints game, I, it just, it never felt like it was happening. Um, and so for me, that's the thing. Like I, I will give credence to the idea that special teams coaching can change things, right? We've yeah. seen that before, particularly, I think, special teams blocking. Um, you know, if you if you get better blocking in front of him, right, one of his misses is technically the, the Patriots block um, that happened. So it, it's like, you know, th- there is stuff like that um, where I think you can kind of fix that for sure with special teams. I just am kind of like, well, you know, if coaching was such a big deal and, you know, he was good in 20 or great in 2018 and bad in 2020, it's like his special teams coach was the same guy that we all hated for (laughs) the whole time he was here in George Stewart. So it's like suddenly, you know, we're going to bring in Darius Winton, who who I like, but I don't think he's going to change the whole game with, with Michael Badgley and suddenly make him into, you know, something he's not. Or, you know, if he brings him back to that 2018 form, great. I just don't know if coaching, particularly for Badgley, has been the issue as opposed to his his form and and kind of lack of leg power. So, you know, for me, it's not even that you have to knock in, like, 50-yard field goals all the time. Like, that doesn't happen. But to me, you know, like, you do have to knock in 40-yard field goals, and he was 8 of 13 last year from uh, 40-plus, just from 40 to 50. Um, and that's kind of subpar for an NFL kicker. That's basically approaching like 60%. So for me, like, I just don't think the Chargers can be put in a position where they're at the 28-yard line before halftime and there's six seconds left, and they're contemplating throwing a you know bomb into the end zone or kicking the field goal. Like, you take the points when they're given to you, right? Yeah. So the fact that they don't feel like, or at least all of last year, didn't feel like Anthony Lynn trusted his kicker to do it, I just don't know how you can go into that this year with the same situation. 
Yeah, I mean, different coaching staff could could certainly change things a little bit. And like I said, you can manage it. But to me, like it, it just seemed like Badgley wasn't super confident last year. I think that was was kind of the issue, you know, because in 2018 when Badgley trots out there in Pittsburgh, I had full confidence that he was going to make that kick. And he made it three times, I think, or maybe it was just the twice after the timeouts. But, you know, you look at – No, I, I think he missed one of them. One, one, I think he missed the first one, then it got called back, and he made the last two or something. Artie Burns won the game, but <laughs> – <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of a different game then. But, you know, like in 2018, I, I had confidence in Badgley making kicks. And last year, I think there was kind of, you know – whether it was the missed kicked or the or the blocked or kicked or or whatever the case may be, it just seemed like he wasn't playing at the level in terms of confidence that he was in 2018. All right, Alex, let's or either of you guys you want to make a bet on Badgley's field goal percentage <laughs> or even just making the team. I I think he can make the team. Like I don't think that okay. that's that out of the uh, range of possibilities. Like, okay. but if we were to make a bet. Mm-hmm. I'll put the line at eighty-two and a half percent. Are you taking Why? the? O- <laughs> or, oh no! I'll put the line at eighty percent. Are you oh, going over? Or oh, under? well, that's that's over. I think if he makes it, I think that's pretty easy. I, I was gonna say I thought eighty-two and a half was was a little more fair. Okay, eighty percent. What, what yeah. is considered a good season for kickers? I mean, like, I would say fine. like eighty-five. Like I feel like that's that's kind of the percentage. Like Patsley was seventy-one last year. Like that's He's what. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, eighty-five. You want to go eighty-five? Yeah. Okay. Let me, if, let, if me Badgley, look at, let me look at some stats from last year. Okay. If, Bad, if Badgley hits over eighty-five, I will buy Tyler uh, a twenty-dollar PF Chang's gift card. And if he <laughs> if he doesn't, then Tyler has to buy me a twenty-dollar PF Chang's gift card. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. I don't know. I don't know if that's is that. Average for good kickers is that like, what's the threshold here, Stephen? Uh, I'm trying to look, but NFL Network. Okay, there we go. So last year, uh, Graham Gano actually led the league in kicking percentage at 96. Okay. Boswell, Koo, Carlson, Santos, and Nick Folk, and Butker were all above 90. Justin Tucker oh, actually Nick had Folk. 89, which is interesting. <laughs> Um, Rodrigo Blankenship, who people kind of liked, he was 86. Um, Brandon McManus was 82. Robbie Gold, 82. Greg Zerline, 82. So, so, so my line of 82 and a half was kind of right. Like <laughs> that, 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 that was impressive. I don't line. know where you pulled that from, but my ass. that was pretty um, good. <laughs> wow. pulled it from. Um, Will Lutz was 82. Um, Wow, Chase McLaughlin. Oh, he's only five kicks, but Chase McLaughlin was was eighty percent. Mm. That's the okay. one I regret. Chase McLaughlin. <laughs> what did he kick for like one game? And then yeah. uh, Nick Rose. Oh, Nick, remember this? Nick Rose game Nick against Rose. the Jets. Oh gosh, that, that was bad. Really that was the so, game Keenan Allen had the interception. Oh yeah. So Badgley <laughs> was seventy-two point seven last year. What was twenty nineteen? Eighty something. Uh, it's it was like eighty. I think it was eighty flat. Uh, I'll Google it. Okay. Do you want eighty two, Alex, or eighty five? I'll let you pick. Let's let's do eighty two point five. That's the number. So he's gonna get, o- get over eighty two point five. Okay. Eighty two point yes. five. He goes over. You owe me. Get twenty bucks ready. Okay. So Badgley was ninety three in t- in two thousand eighteen. 
and 81.25 in 19, and then 72.7 this year. I really put myself in a position where I have to root for Badgley to miss. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so if Badgley – obviously he has to make the roster, and he makes yeah. more than 82.5, yeah. Alex buys Tyler a P.F. Chang's gift card. Yes, and if he doesn't – if he doesn't make 82 and a half, then Tyler uh, owes me a gift card. If he doesn't make the roster, the, the bet is void. <laughs> Makes sense. Okay, I'll shake on it. <laughs> Through the Zoom. <laughs> Great. You didn't you didn't count the fact that he could be cut, go to another team, and make one field goal in one game, and he's at 100%, and then he's done. I said if he doesn't make the team, it's void. Yeah, he said if he doesn't make the team, it's <laughs> okay, void. If he makes the team, then he's cut, then he goes to another team. If that's also <laughs> void. It's, it's no, I didn't hear that part. <laughs> Well, that's interesting. I, I'm going to be looking forward to seeing how that plays out. And obviously, listen, whoever wins the kicking battle, yeah. I, I hope that they're successful. Whether that's Badgley, I don't really care. Um, I hope he ditches the nickname if he does make the roster. Yeah, seriously. That just <laughs> did not work out for him as soon as he trademarked that thing and went, it all went downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Tyler and Alex, before we wrap up today, any other thoughts on kicking or any other news or anything like that? I just want to make it clear, I'm not being the pessimist. Like, if Badgley makes the team, I'll root for him to make every single field goal. Let's get the first, <laughs> you know, career 100% kicker in franchise history. Like, that would be awesome. Um, I just, I don't know if it's realistic to expect at this point, but I, I'd like to be proven wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad I gave myself more of a reason to be anxious during kicks now. And <laughs> I, I can't wait to die of a heart attack by week seven. <laughs> It's going to be so much fun, man. Like, because kick, watching kickers is so lame, but having a bet on it, I think will make a lot of a lot of sense. Um, I'm going to take Tyler's side on this one. I think he will make more than 82 kicks. But, Alex, you don't have to pay me if it doesn't. Don't worry. But I will pay <laughs> you uh, if he does not make eight more than 82 kicks. I'm hoping Kessman makes the team. <laughs> Just avoid the bet entirely. <laughs> Just avoid the bet so no one loses any money. Um <laughs> But yeah, this uh, this has been fun. I've enjoyed talking kickers for for once. And so shout out to you guys for making that happen. I hope everyone listening uh, has a wonderful weekend for you know whatever you were doing, plan whatever you have planned. Uh, except if you work at PFF, I hope you die because you uh, Jesus, voted Steven. Justin Herbert. God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not literally die, okay? I just hope you have a bad weekend okay. because you're stupid. Someone's trying to make us lose the Blue Wire licenseship. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, guys. I, I hope everyone has a good time. Um, but as always, make sure and leave us, leave us a rating or review. Comment on our YouTube channel. Um, you know, make sure you go check out Arjun's latest video on Brandon Staley's and, um, you know, defensive patterns and sub packages. Um, and Scott Simpson has also released a video recently about Justin Herbert. Alex, I think you wrote an article today, right? That you published. Yeah. I wrote an article about Brandon Staley's coaching odds, which we kind of talked about last episode. So go check that out. Awesome. Sounds good. Tyler, you got anything special you want to share? Yeah, my Neiman special teams sort of yes. player thing dropped yesterday. So thanks for remembering. Special teams player thing. I know you published something, but I couldn't remember what You're it good. was. You're uh, good. So, yeah, go check that out. And as always, bolt up. Hope Matt Gay has a great day. Me too. That rhymes. <laughs> wow. Poet.